Hello. So we are doing Tuesday of Kedoshim. Again, normally Kedoshim is part of a, what we call, double Parsha, a double portion of Achrimais and Kedoshim. But on a leap year, as occurring here, we separate the Parshios because we have more weeks. <laughs> so we are doing Tuesday of Kedoshim, which is chapter 19, verse 23. And again, these are many laws, very foundational laws, as we discussed in Sunday's portion. When you shall come to the land, I mean, of course, the land of Israel, and you shall plant any food tree, you shall treat its fruit as orla. For three years, it shall be orla to you. They shall not be eaten. So Rashi explains, what does this mean, orla? So orla literally in Hebrew means something that's like blocked. It's blocked and closed off because you can't have any benefit from it. For three years, it's orla. What does this mean from three years? So from the time of the planting, you count the three years. So a person, of course, this is based on the years of a tree. So really, it doesn't have to be actually three complete years because if a person plants it two months before the end of that year, those two months can count as one year. And to be honest, fruit trees don't produce too much the first three years anyway. So it's not like a tremendous amount of fruit is lost, but still, for three years, you're growing, you're planting, you can't touch it. So the person could think, oh, the first three years of the tree's life, you don't want me to touch it, so fine. As the fruit comes, I'm going to be smart, I'm going to pickle it, I'm going to can it, I'm going to store it in my cellar, and when three years are older, you know, it's as if imagine someone says, oh, I can't have hummus on Pesach, no problem, someone give me delicious brownies, I'll put it in my oven, I'll put it, I'll lock it away, and then after Pesach, I'll pull it out. No, if it was forbidden on Passover, on Pesach, it's still forbidden afterwards. If you can't touch this Arla fruit, this closed, blocked off fruit, you also can't touch it after the three years are over. By the way, this is still a law. In other words, sometimes we learn things that we know are only applicable when there's a temple or when all the Jews are in Israel, like the, the Jubilee or the Oval. But this is, has no difference. It's not contingent on the temple. It's not contingent on ritual purity. It's not contingent on the Jews being in Israel. So this absolutely applies in the land of Israel. If you are planting, the first three years you cannot, and again, three years based on the tree's years, you cannot gain from those fruits, which actually have very, very, very modern-day relevance. For example, when you're making wines in Israel, grapes. Hey, are these, is this wine kosher? Are these grapes kosher? What do you mean it's grapes kosher? Well, were they picked when those saplings of the grapes were not yet three years old? Then it's, so to speak, literally wine you cannot drink. It's not kosher. Not because the grapes are a problem, but because the grapes are a problem. <laughs> because there are less. So this is still very, very, very relevant. And the big kosher rabbinical certifications in Israel have special agronomists that literally go into the vineyards to determine how old are these grapes, because we have to make sure they're more than three years old before we can have them used for the wines that we are giving certification for. In the fourth year, all of this truth will be sanctified to God praising to God. So what does this mean? So you planted your grapes. <laughs> First three years, again, trees, year. So if it was the last two months of the year, that still counts, and then a year, and then another year, we finished three years. Oh, good, now I can use them. You can, but not any way you want. They are treated, as Rashi explains, just like Meister Shani, the second type, which means they're your benefit. Enjoy them, but only in Jerusalem. Now, if you have 
so many fruits that there's no way you can carry all those grapes to Jerusalem. And what are you going to do? Eat grapes for like a, for, for a week? And what are you going to do? So you're allowed to do just like, of course. But the second thing is to <clears throat> actually, I'm not sure. I don't want to say this is true. I know this is true for the second type, but now I'm wondering if it's true for Arlis. I don't want to say. For the second type, I can tell you for sure, you can sell the fruits, take the money, bring the money to Jerusalem, and spend that money on other fruits that you're going to eat in Jerusalem. But I don't know if that's true for Arla. Maybe it's so sanctified that you literally have to bring those fruits, and you literally have to eat those fruits. I honestly don't know. And it's very interesting what the verse said, that this is a praise to God carrying these fruits of the fourth year to Jerusalem and eating them only in Jerusalem is praising God for the fruits. Now, again, we're not an agrarian society. We live in cities primarily. We don't, you know, eat off the fruits of our land and of our hands. But imagine people that did. And you planted and you waited a year and you waited a second year and you waited a third year. And finally, you can eat the fruits. And what do you do? You bring them to Jerusalem. You eat them in Jerusalem, thanking God, giving you, this, this, this pleasure, this sweetness, these fruits. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit in order to increase its crop for you. I am God, your God. So finally, in the fifth year, it's free. Eat it as you want. <clears throat> and the verse here gives a special blessing you're going to have by keeping these laws, which is that your crops will be increased. If you observe the commandments properly, your, prop, your crops will have more produce, more bounty. Now, why does the verse have to say this? Because your evil inclination can say, what is going on? I'm working for four years without any gain? How in the world does God expect me to do this? So therefore, we're told, how am I expecting you to do this? Don't worry. You're going to gain. You're going to have a lot more produce. Just like, of course, right now, actually, it's a sabbatical year. No, maybe not every. It doesn't mean every player is a sabbatical year, of course. Um, <clears throat> in 5782-2022, this year, but this might be heard later, it is a sabbatical year. And whenever it's a sabbatical year, we have the same situation. We have farmers who literally for a year cannot work. And actually, things regress. You can do a little bit for upkeep, but very little. Very, very, very limited. And like, how in the world are they supposed to do that? It's not just, you're, you're not working on the seventh year. But you plant on the seventh, you eat in the eighth. So you, you know, like, basically it affects you for like three years in essence. How in the world is supposed to do this? So God says, I will give a blessing. I will provide a blessing that so much will grow in the sixth. It will be as the sixth. It will be as the seventh. It will be for the eighth. Don't worry. I'm God. I'm going to take care of you. So similarly here, obviously, there's a much smaller issue. It's these trees you happen to plant now. But still, you say, I'm working for four years for nothing. So God says, don't worry. I'll give you blessings. Now, obviously, the person is exaggerating, by the way. Because he says, I'm working for four years for nothing. Remember, the fourth year, he was able to eat his crops. But only in Jerusalem, there were limitations. So his evil inclination could still tell him, we all have a tendency to exaggerate. I, I'm working for nothing for four years. And therefore, this verse ends, I am God. Like, why are we still saying, I'm God? Like, that's, like, we know that. Like, we're not here talking about, you know, foundational of faith concepts. We're talking about laws of planting. So why are we bringing this, I am God? But... She says, this is an assurance. I'm telling you, you're going to get the produce. You're going to get an increase. You're going to get a bounty. I'm God. I'm trustworthy. I keep my word. And I, and I run this world. <laughs> it's going to happen. Next verse. Next concept. You shall not eat of blood, and you shall not practice divination, and you shall not believe in lucky times. 
So there's actually two completely separate issues in this verse. One, you should not eat over the blood, which actually is a very open-ended phrase that actually has many meanings. Rashi gives two. One is it's negative commandment that you can't eat of any of the sacrifices before the blood was sprinkled on the altar, as with every sacrifice, even a sacrifice where we do have a portion to eat, still the blood has to be sprinkled first, so don't eat while the blood is still not sprinkled. And another completely different understanding of that is you cannot eat an animal while blood, blood here symbolizes its life, like the blood of your heart, the life hasn't completely departed. Now you're saying, well, what are you talking about? Obviously you only eat an animal that had ritual slaughtering, shrika, otherwise you're not allowed to, it's not kosher. But even with ritual slaughtering, there still could be these spasms of what seems like life. So don't eat on the blood. Don't eat when blood, a.k.a. life, still is apparent in the animal. As long as there are these spasms, it's still forbidden to eat. And there are actually many, many, many other interpretations of this open phrase. And then, completely different concept, don't practice divination. Divination is all these Ideas like if you see a this, or if you see a that, or if this happened, or this happened, like with a weasel or with birds, Rashi says, if you see a weasel, it's an omen. If birds chirp, it's an omen. In Tarskonim, it says the stars can be taken as omen. In the, in the Thomas and Hedron, it says fish can be taken as omens. Or if things happen, like your bread falls from your mouth, it's an omen. A deer crosses your path, it's an omen. In the Talmud, there are many, many, many examples of things that people used to view as omens. We're not allowed to do any of that. And also, times. Onenu. So onenu. Onin. Ona means a time. So you can't say, oh, this time or this day is very auspicious for this, or alternatively, this time is very inauspicious, inappropriate for this. Both are forbidden. We trust God. We are, so to speak, simple people, believers of God. And we don't go in any of these directions. Next verse, totally different concept. You shall not round off the edge of your scalp, and you shall not destroy the edge of your beard. That sounds like a very simple verse. It's actually very complex to understand what exactly is forbidden. So Rashi says, this is someone who makes his temples even with the area behind his ears and his forehead. So the circumference of his head is rounded off. And we're told that this is something the priests of the idols would do. So that sounds sort of simple, okay, but then you ask yourself, wait, what precisely does that mean? What's forbidden to cut? And it, it's, not for, it's not very clear, and the various commentators on Rashi get various answers. The Mizrahi um, looks at it one way, the Gari looks at it completely different. Um, according to the Mizrahi, it would be breaking the line, so, so to speak, the hairline at the forehead, to the temple, to the jawbone, to the back of the head. So breaking that line by removing the hair of the temple, so you're forming like this new straight hairline from behind one ear to the other, that's forbidden. Okay, except Gari says something completely different. And Gari says, we have the hair of the temples where it meets the jawbone, and rounding the corners is removing that hair, so you separated that junction point, and that's forbidden. In either case, again, it's the same concept. This is what the priests of the idols would do, and God is saying, you're not allowed to do that. Now, what does it mean by the edge of your beard? So Rashi explains that the beard has like five sections, two on each cheek on the top, and then two on the bottom parts of the cheek, and then on the chin. So your upper cheek, your lower cheek, 
that makes four, and your chin. And all of those parts, of course, we have to be very careful with, and we are not allowed to remove any of the hairs of the beard, and it's very, very important. It's only the idea of growing a beard, but also growing a completely full beard. There's no way is it caught, is it shaved, are the hairs removed? All of this brings tremendous, tremendous spiritual blessings. We're told that a beard has 13 roots, which are really relating to and a manifestation of the 13 roots of God's essence, compassion, and the growing of the beard draws down that compassion. And therefore, it considered a very, very, very enormously significant spiritual virtue to have a full, untouched, untrimmed beard that all this compassion can freely flow.